one morning I was getting ready for work and I was rushing around and I was a little late and trying to get it all done. And I looked in the mirror to see, oh, what does my hair look like? How's my makeup look? And I just paused because I didn't recognize the person that was looking back at me. And I was like, who is this person? You know, who is this person that's rushing around to get to a job that I'm totally stressed out about that is not anything closely related to my true self? And I just, I mean, I don't know how long I I looked in the mirror. It was probably only a few seconds, but it seemed like a lifetime. And I knew that I had to make a change. I knew that I wanted to be able to look in the mirror and look at myself in the eyes and be like, yeah, Charlene, you know, like you're this amazing being and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. It is your gal Carly over here. You know, I was having the sweetest, funniest, really kind of ridiculous and yet entirely relatable conversation with the client recently. She's one of my high achieving clients. She's a CEO with a growing company that she's had for over a decade located in the Midwest of the United States. And we were sitting down doing kind of a deep dive on what objectives she has on deck for the new year. And we were looking at all of these professional goals and we just did this kind of quick and fun brain dump. Just putting everything she's thinking about getting done on paper so that we could see it objectively in front of us. And she listed things like hiring for a few specific new roles. They want to expand their company community reach. They want to revamp some of their branding. They want to add in some employee benefits that she can't find anywhere else. And she wants to review the budget for this year and decide on if building a new office space makes sense or not right now. And oh yeah, she ends at the, <laughs> she adds at the end of this is the abbreviated list of what was really a list of about 35, 40 things. She said, I really want to meet my person. I want to finally have a long-term romantic relationship again. And we just kind of stopped and laughed because this last one about meeting her person was incredibly important to her. She lit up. She went from being very structured to all warm and soft and happy just talking about it. But it was mentioned at the end of this really long list of other things that she kept prioritizing first on deck. And I share the story with you because the topic we're talking about this month on Messy and Magnificent is around beginning something new and bringing something new into the world. And it's just all too common for us, as you might have heard me reference on the last episode, episode 74, about how to clear things off our plate so that we can begin something new. It's just so common for us to assume that we're going to get to the things we really care about because we care about them so much, when in reality, there are lots of other things competing for our attention that can make beginning something and following through on this beginning kind of tricky. And I find that it really helps to see examples of women modeling what beginning something new can look like, especially women who are starting something or have a goal or a priority and also already have plenty on their plate. How do they do it, right? How do they find the time or the focus or the system to bring forth a new desire they have into the world if maybe they don't have time to take a four-year sabbatical and unlimited resources to make it happen. How do you welcome something new into your life when you already have a full life, right? Well, I reached out to Charlene Ryman to come join us because if anyone knows how to live into something new while having a full plate and plenty of people that count on you for supporting them or good things that you don't want to neglect just because you also want to begin something new, it's Charlene. Now, Charlene is an author. She is a healer. (laughs) Just listening to her is a healing experience. She's a teacher and an experienced teacher trainer. And she also leads workshops beautifully, whether they're in person or more lately, she's been doing them online. 
her retreats and her private one-on-one with students and clients throughout the world, and her new book that just came out recently, Walking the Path of Love. Gosh, reading that is like being swept up in a blanket of generosity and grace. If you want to know the real life stories of alchemy and how to tap into the best of what is possible for you, let Charlene be your guide. The trail that she illuminates in walking the path of love and in our conversation today is so candid. It is so honest, so practical. It just reminds me of how powerful we are when we connect with one another. So speaking of connecting, Charlene has a deep connection to the land that she has lived on for generations on her family's farm, where she grew up, she has raised her children there, and she still lives there today with this insatiable curiosity for exploring things and experimenting. And this is what allowed her to have a 30-year career advocating for employee health and safety and yet begin something new at the same time. So I want you to keep an ear out for three main things in this conversation you're about to hear with Charlene and I. Number one, I want you to notice the way that Charlene began her business and how that differed from the way she began her new book and... What was one common thing that worked wonders in both beginnings? She applied it differently, but it made all the difference. Number two, what did Charlene have to stop doing in order to start doing something new? And how did she practically know where to stop doing things without messing up anything that was already good? And finally, number three, where does Charlene turn to for support? when she has a new idea so that she's certain that she's going to follow through on it because she is the queen of making sure that she has the nourishment she needs in order to live into her goals. But she wasn't always that way. And you're going to hear her talk about that. So if you are bringing something new into the world, whether it's a change of job, change of relationship, a new idea, a project, a move, or maybe a new mindset, this is the episode for you. So before I dive in with Charlene, I want to pause and give kind of a preemptive shout out. I'm going to give a preemptive shout out to you today. And here's why I say that. You can now start sending quick audio clips of you asking me a question or sharing a concept that has landed well from you in any one of our episodes to Anitza on our team. So you can shoot an email to Anitza, N-I-T-Z-A at everybodythrive.com. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then tell us what you're thinking, what's bubbled up for you, and I can add your voice to a future episode and talk right to what is coming up for you. We really do rise well together. I'm always looking for ways to make sure that we're getting to connect, and I think this new way could be super fun and really cool, so I do hope that you'll consider leaving me a voice memo that we can add into the show. All right, speaking of community and connection, let's welcome Charlene Ryman to the conversation. Part of my head or my heart that wants to be heard is definitely the part of me that's my heart versus my head. Just letting people know that it's okay to listen to your heart. And it's really nice to listen to your heart in community or in Sangha, when you have a group of people or a few people or one person that you can talk to and that you can reflect what you're feeling in your heart and they can hold that space and listen and be supportive and many times really understand what's in your heart. (laughs) So beautiful (laughs) and totally in alignment with your book. So I was going to rewind for a moment and And take it from the top for those who are just getting to meet you for the first time. You and I had the opportunity to reconnect in a new way about a year and a half ago when you were just starting to percolate on some ideas and making some shifts around your work. And what I'm acutely aware of is that this is not the first time you've made a significant shift. You made a big shift a number of years ago to change from working in one corporate environment to working for yourself. And I'm so curious. How did you know it was time to make the shift that first time? And how long ago was that? And when did you know, you know what, maybe there's something that's due for a change up here? The time that I knew without any doubt was one morning I was getting ready for work and I was rushing around and I was a little late and trying to get it all done. And I looked in the mirror to see, oh, what does my hair look like? How's my makeup look? 
And I just paused because I didn't recognize the person that was looking back at me. And I was like, who is this person? You know, who is this person that's rushing around to get to a job that I'm totally stressed out about that is not anything closely related to my true self? And I just, I mean, I don't know how long I I looked in the mirror. It was probably only a few seconds, but it seemed like a lifetime. And I knew that I had to make a change. I knew that I wanted to be able to look in the mirror and look at myself in the eyes and be like, yeah, Charlene, you know, like you're this amazing being and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like you're taking one step at a time down this path to be who you really are. And that's when I knew, I knew, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew that I had to do it. So that's a powerful statement. This awareness of, I don't know how to do it, but I know that it's time. Mm -hmm. to do this. And so then what happens next? What happens when you look in the mirror and you go, something needs to change. I don't recognize myself. I want to be the person who's proud to look in the mirror. What's the next step then? So for me, the next step was, which many times is, is I didn't listen (laughs) (laughs) because I don't always listen. I be so honest with each other. Yeah. I heard it and then I ignored it. Yes, yeah. Because I was like, yep. yeah, okay. But all these other voices are in my head too, saying, you know, you have a good job. Just keep doing it. You can stick it out. Blah, 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 blah. All these things. So uh, what I try to do is to listen to those. Because to me, that's like a whisper. You know, you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, whoa, not me. What's going on? And, you know, probably would have been good for me to take some actions. But I just waited and I kept doing what I was doing. And then the whispers got louder and louder and louder. And, you know, one day I was just, I was driving pretty long distance with a work-related thing. Like this bridge was coming up and I was like, no, like I, I can't do this anymore. Like there's a bridge. I can just like, I don't have to do this anymore, you know, because of how I felt. And then I realized, you know, it's not about me driving off a bridge. It's about me leaving behind this life that I didn't want anymore. So, you know, it wasn't this like life death kind of decision that it appeared to be, you know, when I was driving down there, I'm like, oh my gosh, really, Charlene, you think you're going to drive off the bridge? No, you're not, you know, but it was, you're not going to drive off the bridge, but you are not going to keep living your life this way. Like, this is not Mm. the life that you want to live. And it was like this big aha moment of like, things are so bad that that's, that's what's coming up for you. Like you need to make a change. Like this isn't like a nice choice anymore. This is like, you need to move forward into the life that you want. And you need to do it now because voices are loud now. This isn't like little whispers. This is like, you need to do something. Yeah. So that's when that was like the next step. And then what I did to answer your question is I started to ask for help because I didn't know what to do. And that sounds small, but that is huge. That is huge. For me to ask for help was huge at that time. And I'm getting better and better at it all the time. But so I didn't even know who to ask. So, you know, okay, well, I can pray about this. I can start to talk to people. And someone gave me that advice and said, just talk to people. Like, if you're not sure, just start talking to people and you'll get hints and and tips about what to do. So getting help, getting help is, I think, the next step. And I've learned that over and over again, when I get to these thresholds, that the thing that works for me is to ask for help, is to find what it is that I need that can help me take that next step. Because I know that I cannot do it myself. I, I, I just, I don't even want to anymore. I mean, I, at one time I did, I was like, I can do this. Like, I can do this all. Like, I know I need to change. I'm smart. I can figure this out. But that's not that's not what works. It doesn't work for me, and I I'm not sure who that works for. But um, I don't want it to work for me. <laughs> I want to be able to say what do I need and who is the best person to help me with that, and then just like listen for guidance around that. And things pop up. It's like all of a sudden when I started to work with you, all of a sudden I start seeing your name, and, and I'm like, why do I keep seeing Carly? You know, like what? Why is that? <laughs> like, I don't mind seeing her, but what is it? Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, hello, Charlene, you need to reach out. You know, you need to reach out and then talk to her and then see what it is that maybe, you know, maybe you can help each other with. I'm fascinated by this as we have this month on the podcast here on Messy Magnificent about talking about beginnings. And I just love how relatable and unique to you this first beginning story was. I had the whisper, 
I promptly ignored it. <laughs> I listened to other voices, which I can relate to that. Susie Bangsbaum on her episode with us, what did she say? I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but she talked about how we circumvent our knowing. Yes. Right? Yes. We hear it and then we, oh, let me just, this one time I can just ignore that. Or this one time I'll keep doing this thing. Or just this one time is what we say, right? So you did the circumventing until you have your bridge moment. And you're like, okay, this is, this is becoming something real. And then you reach out for help. And so this is the beginning of that next phase. And so now I know that you're in a new beginning and that you've authored a book that's just been published by Balboa Press. So Walking the Path of Love, which I've had the privilege of getting to read. And so I'm curious, Charlene, what was the beginning of that process? Right. So I list love you as one human being. Were there similarities in both of your beginnings? Were they different? How did you know it was time to write the book? Especially knowing, (laughs) adding on more to this question, I have so many questions for you, but especially knowing that you had a full schedule when you decided to write this book. So it wasn't like you were sitting around on some four year paid sabbatical looking for something to do, you had something going on. And so what did the beginning of this new venture look like? So it looked different than most of my (laughs) ventures, I think, because I didn't sit down and say one day, oh, I think I'm going to write a book. What I did was I said, you know, I think I need to start to listen, like just to listen, to be present, to, to start to listen. And as I started to do that, the book started to take shape. And I didn't even know it was going to be a book. I just started to write. And I started to write from my heart at such a deep place that I would read it later and I would be like, did I write that? No, did I write that? So I just, it was more a journaling. And suddenly I started to look at all these pages and say, well, there is such richness in these words that these are not just for me. These absolutely are not just for me. I need to share these. And then when I started to think about that, I got really scared. And then I started to ask people, you know, I have an author friend, James Abro. He he wrote um, a yoga book and I said, could you just look at this for me? You know, and I, and I was fully prepared because he's very honest for him to say, oh yeah, what are you doing? (laughs) Put that journal back on your shelf and start a new journal. Like, you know, whatever. But he was like, you are on to something here. And he said, first of all, you need to write a book, but this isn't what the book is about. The book is about your stories that are going to connect people. Because he's like, we all have these stories and we all think we're the only ones that have them. And we don't, you know, we, we connect through stories. So it took a long time to write the book because I took each of the core teachings of Swami Kripalu. So things like compassion, things like truth, and really explore those in my life. You know, how did those things impact me? And then most importantly, I was talking with a friend about the book and because I started to actually say, I'm writing a book. <laughs> Which is oh, so, so important. you let people know. Yes. So people were in on the yes. fact that Even this though was it was scary, really right. scary to say this, but I'm like, no, I'm going to verbalize this. So I'm writing a book. And then we talk about it and they said, and with Kripalu yoga, it's experiential learning. So you learn by doing. So I have a book that just has some inspirational words and then it tells stories about me. Well, is that really going to help people bring things into their lives? So I put practices together and as I put the practice together, I was practicing them, right? So I was practicing them. So this was like years and years of really studying these principles and and then at the end, having a book, <laughs> instead of sitting down and saying, I'm going to write a book about blah, blah, blah. If you would have told me that this was what the book was going to be, I would have been like, yeah, no, I can't write a book. You know, I'm not an author. I'm a chemist. I'm a whatever. You know, I, I can't write a book. But that it happened this way, which such grace and such ease, all of our changes can happen that way. It doesn't have to be hard if we just... Mm-hmm take one step at a time and not be like, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to do this. And instead of, it's just like, stop and listen, like stop and listen. And that I come back to that time and time again, when I'm in a position where I'm not sure what to do, or I'm trying to push something to happen that it doesn't feel right, but I think it should happen. So I push and push rather than to just stop and sit and listen 
for maybe just that first teeny tiny step. And that teeny tiny step in this case ended up to be a book that I think can really, really help people. I didn't know when I took that first step, what that was going to be. I didn't even think about it. I just listened and I was like, oh, I'm supposed to start to write, like be still and write. So I did that. And then it was like, oh, I'm supposed to talk to people about this. Oh, I'm supposed to do this. Oh, even when it came all the way down to having an editor for the book, I was having tea with a friend. I knew that she was a yoga teacher, but I had no idea that she was an editor. (laughs) Wow. So we're having tea, you know, talk about grace and ease. We're having tea. We're just chatting about life and kids. And, and then she starts telling me about this editing project. And I was just like, what? And she's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm an editor. I teach yoga, but I'm an editor. And I'm like, oh my gosh, she teaches yoga and she's an editor. Like, oh, here's, here's what I need for my book. And it happened so easily. And that's, to me, that's how things happen when they're supposed to happen. And when, when you listen and you just allow, I wasn't going to lunch with her because, or to have tea with her because I thought I was going to find an editor. I was just connecting. I was connecting to someone that I knew spoke to my heart. And I knew that we, you know, we were on the same path, I guess I'll say. And just in doing that, I was clearly given this gift of here's your next step. Here's a person that can help you with that next step. And I remember getting in the the car and just crying and crying, like, really, really? Like, thank you, universe. You just gave me an editor. Like, I had no idea. Like, I wasn't even sure that that's what I needed as a next step, but I did, right? This episode is brought to you by the Boundary Academy. 15 years of coaching thousands of women has taught me that it doesn't matter how good our plans, our intentions are, our network, or even our access to external resources. If we don't have the boundaries we need to honor what we care about, we will always struggle with a lack of time or energy or money or downright satisfaction. You see, women who have thriving, healthy careers and relationships know That boundaries aren't just something nice you get to later. They're something you practice gently now so that you have the later that you want. So you can get free access to the recording of the Boundaries Brunch we did right before the Boundary Academy opened. There's a link to it in the show notes wherever you're listening or head on over to carlyfane.com. And in this 45-minute class, you're going to learn the three mindsets that women with healthy boundaries already know and live into, plus lots of rich, candid conversation with thought leaders in the field of boundaries and women who are just getting started. There's nothing for sale in there. (laughs) Just rich content you're not going to get anywhere else. Because that hunch you're meant to be doing something meaningful and enjoyable with your life and career, it's right. I hope you'll join me and women from around the world that are making having boundaries oh so doable. There's a couple things that you just said that I'm fascinated about. The first was, could you explain when you talk about just listening, what does that actually look like for you? Like your version of just listening, because it sounds like this is integral to your process. You listen, you get a little bit of information, you take action on that, you reflect, you listen again. And so like on a practical level, what does listening look like for you? So I am not so fussy about where I am what I'm listening. It's more getting quiet. And also I'm not real fussy about how long I need to listen because I used to think, okay, I need to meditate. I need to meditate at least 15 minutes. I have to do, you know, 10 minutes of pranayama before I meditate. I need to do this, this, and this, and I need to have all these things. And I need to have a yoga mat and a special cushion. That's whatever expensive special cushion. And I have to have a candle in it. I have to do, you know, like I have to do all of these things. And by the time I had all those things, I was exhausted. And I was like, <laughs> so I realized that I can listen anywhere. Like I can listen anywhere. My favorite places to listen are outside in nature. So the last few weeks, I've been taking a lawn chair down to a creek and I just sit there. I have my water. I don't take my phone. I have my water, a blanket and the creek and I listen. And sometimes I don't even take something along to write because I think that distracts from my listening because then I'm writing what I think I should be writing versus what I'm feeling. And so what are you listening for when you're, when you're listening, what are you listening for? So I'm listening for 
for guidance. I'm observing, I guess, listening and observing. So as I sit down to, to listen, I'm observing. So thoughts are coming, things are coming, messages are coming, and I'm just observing them. So I'm not judging them. So it's like, oh, maybe the first message is, oh, don't forget to add, you know, almond milk to the grocery list, you know, and the next message might be, you know, like, did you do this, you know, or you need to email your mom or, you know, like this long list of things. So I just sit there and be like, and I'm like, instead of being like, oh my goodness, Charlene, you're supposed to be listening and all these things. It's just like, oh, love, all this, all these distractions are coming up. Like, look, at that. You know, so I'm just observing. I'm like this observer, all these, you know, things are, and then crazy thoughts come, you know, like, oh, I bet this person doesn't like me, blah, 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 blah. You know? And so like, I, I just like recognize all those things. And then in between those things, I was just, I think about it as a space between, if I keep coming back to my breath there, the space happens. And within that space, to me, the space feels expansive. It feels like a soft, warm, comfortable, safe place that I will feel that I will feel that in my body. All those thoughts stop happening, all those uh, worries. And my, my brain isn't in charge anymore. There's something bigger than me that's in charge. And in those glimpses is when I feel something, I will feel it in my body. It'll, it's just this knowing that this is the thing that I need to do. And it may be a message as simple as someone, I'll think of someone and that I know that I need to reach out to. And, and the answer may be in that person. It's almost like clues. Like that's what I look at. Oh, I, lo- I love that as clues because there's a playfulness to that. It's like somebody's dropping breadcrumbs and there's just the next breadcrumb. So this leads to the second question I have, which you've alluded to a few times, which is that you've dared to ask for help. To or or to tell people I'm writing the book and to and to reach out for help and I'm curious, do you have criteria for who you go to to ask for help? Are you comfortable just asking the next person that pops onto your radar, or do are you selective? What is your process for knowing who is a good person to share this tender new idea, this thing? Because I'm thinking of it as a visual of like the fledgling bird, a new idea is a tender thing. And I know I've had ideas stomped on inadvertently by people who just told me all the reasons it would be hard or difficult to do that thing. And I've I've neglected those ideas sometimes as a result of that early on. So how do you know who might I elicit help from or who might I share this new idea with? To me, it's a feeling. So it's a feeling that I get in my body. So if I'm starting to talk to someone and let's say I think, oh, maybe this is who I could share this with. I make sure that I look them in the eyes, like that I'm not looking over their head. I'm not looking at something behind them. I'm not diverted, but I'm making eye contact with them. And I believe that when you're really looking at someone's eyes, you're not just seeing the person, you're seeing their soul. You're seeing something more than just this, a human in front of you. And that's how I know, like, that's how I know is what is looking back at me. And is the person looking back at me? Because maybe they're not, maybe it's really hard to make eye contact with somebody. And then that's like my answer. It's like, you know what, this person doesn't even, won't even look at me. They're not going to be the person that's going to care to hold space, care to support me, care to give me feedback on whatever this is. So to me, the eye contact and just that feeling, like if we're talking and suddenly like my stomach is feeling kind of like, eh, doesn't mean I don't like this person. It's just, they're not the person to share this idea with. They're not the one that's going to help me to move this forward in the right way. I love how very specific you were with that, with just the eye contact alone. There's this physical feeling in your body, but just also this kind of like this litmus test. It's not like you're really testing humans, but you're, you're kind of taking the temperature a little bit of, is this the person who could hold this, who could champion this with me, who can handle or be excited? about this project that I'm bringing forth. Golly, what great information to know right off the bat, and especially the way you express it without judgment, meaning it doesn't mean that this person's not a good friend, nor does it mean my idea is good or bad if they respond good or bad, right? It's just this awareness of, is this person interested in being on this path with me? I think the other thing, I know that the other thing is these two qualities, the quality of of truth, that I'm going to know that this person is going to tell me the truth about what they feel. I feel like that's a strength. So this a strength, strong 
that the person's not going to be wishy-washy. They're not going to be like, oh, oh, that's a great idea. You know, good for you. And and they, you know, it's not sincere. It's it's strong. Like it's strong. And the person is also soft. Like it's this combination of strength and softness. And that's who I want to give me feedback. That's who I want to share my ideas with because I don't want somebody that's all soft is just going to be like, oh, here's Charlene. She has an idea. I'm just going to, t- you know, tell her, I think it's great. And I also don't want a person who's just always going to be like, no, no, no. I, I want that perfect combination of strength and softness. And I think about the people that I surround myself with, and it's more and more people that are just like that. They're truthful and they're soft. Wow. I'm letting that land in my cells. I'm really thinking about that. What does the embodiment of both strength and softness, truth and gentleness Mm -hmm. look like? And what an ideal combination. I'm noticing a theme and tell me if I'm right about this, but this this, there's a sensualness about the way you express bringing something new to the world. So when you had your driving over the bridge moment, and there was this like, I'm either driving to this work destination or I'm keeling off the bridge. <laughs> and in the middle, you said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Right? Like, there's got to be other options than just those two things, yes. right? And then again, when, with your people, as you're looking for who I can bring something new for, there's kind of this central aspect. Can they embody more than one thing at once? Can they have this strength and this truth with this ability to be gentle and soft and tender along with me? And so it's this, I'm fascinated by your ability to not be all in or all out, to have it be all one way or another way. And even as you describe, Charlene, these two beginnings, the beginning of you going into consulting and the beginning of you writing this book, how, again, they didn't have to fit the exact same way that it could be unique in each circumstance and kind of a middle ground in each in each circumstance. And this reminds me of something that you said. So Charlene is on our Council of Boundary Makers, which has just been the most tremendous gift to myself and all of the women in the Boundary Academy. And you said something the other day that I jotted a note down. You said, I learned that I had to stop doing some things in order to start doing new things. And that was a, ooh, like put the brakes on moment there. I knew I wanted to hear more about that. So as you were making the decision, if it's okay with you to use this book as an example and bringing this forward into the world, what did you have to stop doing in order to start this active writing? Once you knew it was a book and you knew it was going to an editor and to ultimately to a publisher, what were the stops required for this starting? It was having really good boundaries was really, really important. And knowing that I have a certain amount of hours in a day, this is really important to me. And there are things that I'm not going to be able to to do. And one of those was to continue to work full-time. So I had worked full-time 40 hours a week before. And I knew that my health was not going to allow me to work 40 hours a week. And then when my, you know, five o'clock, six o'clock, when my workday's done to have enough energy to dedicate to birthing this book. So I needed to say, look, like I can do this. Like I can work less and I want to have time where I'm not exhausted to, to dedicate to this. And I'm not ready to, to, I wasn't ready to stop working altogether yet. You know, like I, I wanted to keep doing that. So it was really looking closely at how I was spending my time. And then in a sense, priorities, I guess, setting priorities to say, what's the most important? And then what isn't, what am I doing that's not going to contribute to the thing that's the most important? Thing. You know, what, what is the thing that I value? Where do I want it, my life to go? What are those things that I'm doing during the day that are not contributing to that, to that journey, to those next steps? And that's not easy. I mean, it sound, sounds kind of easy, but it's, it's not. It's like learning to say no. It's learning to turn the computer off. It's learning, you know, all of those things. I really appreciate your awareness that the beginning of something takes energy. And I know that sounds really obvious when we say it out loud, but I don't know how many times I've added something to my calendar without actually thinking about the energy need to be involved in following through on that yes. thing, whether it's a one-time phone call with somebody or it's a long-term commitment to bring a project into the world. Mm-hmm. And so there's just this, this notion of if this thing is going to take energy or time or attention And thus, I might need to recalibrate what my schedule looks like, at least for right now, right? For this moment, 
and then things can shift back or shift differently moving forward. But what was one thing that needed to stop for now? Because I think you're right. We brush up against, it's one thing to talk about this stuff. And then it's the other thing, you know, myself as a recovering perfectionist, you as a chemist working, you know, in in an industry where you're on all the time. And so it's not always easy. We might know what's not as important or what needs to be postponed or done differently for a little while. But what was one thing that needed to stop that made a difference that once you leaned back from it, you might've thought, oh gosh, this has really opened things up. Definitely the work. And then I think family commitments was the other thing. Being selective about my commitments when it came to to family. And, you know, COVID definitely helped that because there weren't the same kind of in-person things. And I remember when I was struggling a little bit with this, the thing that kept coming up to me was like, you know how people say, oh, I'll be there in spirit, you know? And I used to always say like, yeah, that kind of is corny or I don't know what they're saying, but that really helped me. So, you know, like, let's say there's a graduation party that I need to go to or something that I need to go to that I'm invited to. And I know that it's, it's going to, I'm going to be exhausted if I do it. I know it's like the, you know, one thing on my plate that is going to make everything overflow and, and, and not, not go right. I can really say I'll be there in spirit. Like I, I love the person that's having the party. I love that the, the gathering that there's people going to be there. So it didn't diminish my love or my caring. It just was that I couldn't be there. So I really would think, okay, I'm going to be there in spirit. And that, and that helped me just to relax into, I don't need to always be there. You know, I don't need to always be there. I can still love that person, but yeah, cutting back and not stopping. It's not like I say, I'm not going to go to any family events or I'm not going to ever see people again, but it's just saying, how does that fit and what feels right? You are modeling something that we talked about and there's no way you could know this, but in the episode we've just recorded. So episode 74 (laughs) that came out, we talked about phenomenon that I've noticed with people, especially like highfalutin folks, you know, like celebrity clients who are known for doing something well, whether they're a musician or an athlete or they run a company, they are the ones who have consciously decided to not do all the things. And there's often the question that comes up, you know, during interviews, I see them get asked a lot, how do you do it all? And the ones who get something well done are the ones who can honestly say, I don't do it all. And this is just something I've been noticing. So I love as you describe the practicality of this for this moment, it means I can't go to this particular graduation ceremony, which is no bearing on how much I love or care for these folks, right? It's just that for this moment, this is my, this is the focal point that I'm bringing into the world. I think it's devotion. If you are really devoted to this new thing, this new step, it's devotion. And it comes down to that. And whenever I forget, it's like, no, I am devoted to this. And this is what it's all about. It's being devoted. And then it makes those other things easy. You know, it's funny. It's funny you say that because I've replaced a couple of years, the word motivation with devotion in my own vocabulary, because I find my motivation totally wanes based on what I ate for breakfast, what the weather is outside, what type of tasks are on deck. Like my motivation, if I waited to be motivated, I don't know how often that would, would come about, but I could be devoted to something. I could say I'm with this project or this person or this client for the long haul or for these six months or whatever it is. And so it's really that cultivation of, of devotion. So for you, is there anything that helps you stay devoted? Because I'm sure there's times when these other things must be really tempting. You're beginning a project and ooh, the phone calls are tempting or the, the invitations are really tempting. And especially as the world is opening up back up, you know, in this new way. So anything that helps you hone your attention on what you're devoted to? Yes. I'm going to say it's will and surrender. So it's knowing that as part of this devotion, there are things that I need to do. So there are steps I need to take. So that's the will part. So that's, you know, I need to set up this meeting. I need to work with the publisher. I need to do, you know, like, so there are these things that are will, like they're very action-based. And then there are parts that are the surrender part. And I always need to make sure that I leave space for that surrender part. And that's to say, okay, I did these things, these willful things, and now I'm going to surrender to the outcome of that. You know, I don't know what that outcome is going to be. I can think about what I'd like it to be, but I don't actually have control over that. 
outcome. You know, so it's 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 somebody else's job. It's the universe's job. It's somebody else's job to take that next step. So it's just surrendering to that. And, you know, I think that that is another part of the getting quiet is just surrendering to that next step. And I don't do both of those. I'm exhausted. If I'm doing will, 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 you know, I spent a huge part of my life just doing will because it was like, I want this to get done. I'm going to get done. I'm going to keep going and going and going. And I'm totally exhausted, but I'm going to keep going because I know what I want to happen. Instead of saying, okay, I think this is my next step. You know, I feel pretty comfortable about that. I'm going to do these things to make that step because I'm devoted to this. Like, this is what I want to do. So it takes action. I can't sit around the closet and hope it happens. But I also need to take that time to just, it's almost like a culmination too. It's like, okay, I've done those things. Now I'm going to surrender. I'm going to rest. I'm going to wait till I get that next piece of guidance so that I know what the next step is. That's what helps me. As you describe this, your face lights up. Like you beam as you talk about the dance between the will and the surrender. And even your body language is so, it's so sweet. Cause as you do will, you know, you, you look like, um, like you're at a podium, you know, you're, you're sitting tall and your hands are moving. And as you do surrender, you lean gently into your feet and you, and you smile. And so I'm wondering as you did this, this ebb and flow between will and surrender and you, and you did create this book that is now out in the world. Were there any pleasant surprises along the way? I know you mentioned the editor, but what were the were there any surprises that came about that you know now that maybe you didn't know at the beginning and if I guess to me one of the nice surprises. So I when I decided to start to do this book, I didn't have expectations about how other people would feel because I felt like that's wasn't my job to think to know how other people would judge the book or if they would like it or if they would not like it. I just thought, I just need to keep being devoted to this. Like this is a book that has to come forward. I don't know why, but it does. And so, you know, if some people like it, great. If some people don't, great. That's not why I'm bringing this forward. It's not so that I sell a certain number of copies. When I started to ask people for their reviews, you know, I was nervous. I I picked those people that I knew I could look in the eye. I picked those people that were going to give me the, the straight feedback. And when the feedback started to come back, it wasn't always what I expected. And it was always amazing, right? It was like uh. different people saw it different ways, but there was not one person. And I know that everybody that I asked would have told me to say, you should not publish this book. <laughs> <laughs> So that was a surprise because I was ready for that. I was totally ready. I thought, you know what? I'm going to have this book and there's going to be like three copies. It's going to be like mine, my mom and dad. (laughs) And then I'll give a couple for gifts or something. I had no idea. And that was a surprise to me. It was like how people have received the book and received, yeah, received these teachings, received this information is a surprise because I, you know, it's really none of my business how everybody receives it. It's my business to get it out there and to see the ways that it's helped people in ways that I would have not imagined it. So that's really beautiful, right? Because I, I wasn't expecting, I guess maybe it's not having huge expectations around it. And then you can be surprised at however it's going to be received. So you know, not worrying so much about how it's going to be received. If it's a change that you feel confident about and you know, and it's a project that you're devoted to, it's something that you're devoted to, just do it. And then the surprise, the wonderful surprise is probably going to be how people receive it or how it's received out there. It well, it sounds like, and tell me if this is accurate, but it sounds like you were in it for the experience of creating the new thing and that the bringing it out into the world while that was part of it, was not the main goal. Right. And so the, cause we can't control how other people receive anything. And Lord no. knows I've tried. <laughs> I've tried to couch it just the right way, spin it the right way, draft the email perfectly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> only bring it up after they've had a glass of wine. Like I've tried all the ways. And at the end of the day, people surprise me in every direction, right? With their, with their responses. And so I love this awareness that you've got here of how you began. I don't know how this is all going to come together, but it feels right to begin. And then listening, taking a step, willfully surrendering and not being attached to a specific outcome. And that so mirrors a lot of feedback I get from women when we're, when we're able to not be attached to outcome, how we can be pleasantly surprised and possibilities and opportunities come our way that maybe we didn't see coming that, you know, it makes me wonder. I just, 
pontificate over here by myself in my studio. If ideas pick us, you know, especially when an idea won't let us be. I think about Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, and she makes some references in there to that. Just like, did this idea pick me? You know, like maybe I didn't pick it and it had a plan the whole way. And there's something about that on the rainy days or on the days when I'm when I'm doing what you were referencing, the, oh gosh, only three copies. <laughs> There's only going to be three sales of this book, right. right? Like when we're doing that crazy story, just the, I'm showing up for this thing. Maybe it picked me. I'm in agreement with it now, right? And the deal is, I don't know about you, but Charlene, when I start something new, I make a contract with the project, with the idea. I say, okay, here's what I'm willing to do. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to open doors. If you want me to write this book, you're going to have to show me where the publisher is. I'll send them an email. I'll schedule the meeting. I'll follow up. But like, I need your help with that. And you model that so beautifully. I think the other thing is not being afraid. It's kind of like letting fear out of the picture. Because if you start to bring fear in, then it's just this ro- it's this constant roadblock that, well, I'm afraid I won't sell books. I'm afraid this, I'm afraid that. Like whatever that next step is, you know, when I was going to leave my job, like all these fears come up and, you know, you remind us often that the, these fears are messengers. Like it's a message and you can listen to the message, but you don't have to let it stop you. And I think that's the other part of this is like, once you know that this is the right thing, it's your idea. It picked you. Well, don't be afraid, you know, just like see what the next thing is. Just keep, keep going with it. Be devoted to it if it speaks to you. And then don't be afraid. Like, don't be afraid. Oh, you're, you're pointing out, you know, we see the potential costs of doing something new and it not going well, but you're opening in a door to, but what else could be true here? I'm hearing that fearful thought. And what else could be true? It's possible five copies might sell. Or it's possible 500 or 500,000 or that I'll meet new people as a result of this or I'll form a new connection or we don't even know yet. And so there's this doorway to, okay, it's possible three copies will sell. And what else could be possible here, right? What else could be possible? I'm so glad that you dared to see what else was possible and take those steps forward. Um, so would you be game to play our two-way Q&A, yes. Charlotte? Yes. Okay. I'm so excited to ask you in particular this question that we always ask. If you came with a warning label, what might it say? This woman is capable of fierce love. <sighs> this woman is capable of fierce love. This reminds me of that strong softness. Mm-hmm. Yes. That you spoke about, yeah. that you embody what it is you look for in other people or admire in other people. So based on our conversation, Charlene, what would you want to ask the woman listening right now? What's one thing you're wondering about for them? I wonder what they need to be able to follow their heart's desire. Like, what do they need? Because just identifying what it is that you need can sometimes be the key, like just to know what that need is, what you need, who you can talk to, what the resources are, where you might need help. I love that because that question, because we're not assuming that any of us operate in a vacuum, that just because we have an idea, we can follow through on it. It's I have this idea. So then what do I need to nourish that idea to make it possible to follow through on it? And there's such a kindness. Talk about walking the path of love, the entire message of your book. There's such a, a sense of nourishment behind bringing this new idea to life. And we're going to make sure that here in the show notes, wherever you're listening, that um, Charlene's contact information is there and that you can go to her website and get a copy of the book, but you can also contact her because <laughs> more Charlene in our lives is a very good, <laughs> good thing. If you're looking for somebody who can listen without judgment, who can be strong and soft, it's, it's Charlene if you've got a new idea going. So here's my last question. Even if other people disagree, Charlene, What's one thing that you know to be true? I know that we cannot do it alone, whatever that it is. I know that we are connected. There is a connection. And to pretend that we can do it alone is, I don't believe that that's true. I believe that we do need each other and we need connection. And I feel like, especially women, we need to be there for each other. We need support systems. So yeah, I know that to be true. I know that we can't do it alone. I know that I can't do it alone. If there's somebody out there that can, I haven't met, I haven't met them. 
but I think we be- we believe that we should be able to do it alone. And I spent a good deal of my life believing that. I don't want to ask for help. I could do this alone. I can, and I don't know where that came from, but I know that that's not true for me anymore. Oh, that question that Charlene asked, what do you need to be able to follow through on your heart's desire? By golly, I hope you'll post that in a review on iTunes or send an audio clip to Anitza at everybodythrive.com and we can include your thoughts in an upcoming episode because if being in community has what's made the difference for Charlene and for so many women, I hope you'll dare to be in community with me too. And I highly recommend that you connect with Charlene via her website. It's right here in the show notes or head over to charlynryman.com. That's C-H-A-R-L-Y-N-R-E-I-H-M-A-N.com. And you can get a copy of her book, Walking the Path of Love, if you want to hear more of the stories about how she's begun so many practices in her lifetime and how she's cultivated the devotion needed to continue moving into new areas with more compassion than stress. And who doesn't need that right about now? You can get Walking the Path of Love anywhere you get your books. I've also put a link to Uncle Bobby's Coffee and Books, a great Black-owned bookstore here in Philadelphia that ships worldwide. That's in the show notes. This is also a great place to order this or all of your books from. Because remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including having what you need in order to begin something new. And I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.